Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the Metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, recording with a 2023 MLB All-Star. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and we are joined by Brent Rooker, a member of the 2014 Plymouth Pilgrims of the NECBL. Brent, thank you so much for joining us for today's show. Yeah, thanks guys. Appreciate you having me. I hope I'm Always identified by my time in Plymouth. That'd be that'd be exciting for me as a pilgrim. It's one of one of the highlights of my career, for sure. Well, well, I'm glad I'm glad Jake uh, decided to throw it back. I was going to keep it a little bit more recent. On Friday, on Friday's show, we teased. We said we are going to have an active major leaguer on the show, and Jake went out of his way to tell everyone that it wasn't Shohei Otani. So he he cleared it up. He said it wasn't Shohei Otani. So instead, we, we we did one better. We got someone who has homered off of Shohei Otani. It is Brent Rucker. So thank you so much for joining us, Brent. We are not just going to relive the glory of hitting a home run off of Shohei Otani, although I imagine you probably have done that a few times this year because that was probably pretty cool, right? Yeah, that was a cool one. That was definitely yeah. a cool one. Okay, that's, that seems fair. But Brent has been tweeting a lot, just like us. And that makes him qualified to talk about the Major League Baseball playoffs. As, as you know, you've been responding to all kinds of people who are probably less qualified to talk about the Major League Baseball yeah, playoffs. Don't tell them that, though. But, but we, we appreciate your insight. And you've also played against a bunch of these players. So we're excited to just kind of do the show with you. This is not just going to be interviewing Brent about his season. This is just going to be like, hey, you're, you're co-hosting with us. So yeah, like bear that. with us. As, as Jake and I try and figure out how to do a podcast with three people instead of two, uh, but this is a, a, the, the right person to join us. So, Brent, I think we are going to begin with the American League, the league that you play in, right? That's you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you have any American League pride? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> not really. I had, uh, I had a very brief set with San Diego, so I have a little National League experience, but large majority of my career has been the American League. Um, I think before the DH switch, I think there was more of kind of that divide, but now that everybody has it, it's just kind of the same. It's funny, right? Because in college, it's like SEC pride. Conference, yeah. It's like yeah. people ride with their conference, like, and then you get to the, you get into, into pro ball. It's like, no one's like, oh, dude, the Eastern League, like, that's my, that's my team. <laughs> we do, uh, I mean, we spend a good amount of time as a team just kind of like talking about how good our division was in general. I mean, the, the, I mean, between the Rangers, the Astros, the Mariners not making the playoffs is crazy because of how good their specifically their pitching staff was with their team as a whole. And um, so, yeah, I mean, there's none of that like conference versus conference pride, but we'll sit down and everyone's probably like, our schedule is brutal having to play these three teams over and over again. Oh, yeah. the divi- And then the other one has Mike Trout and Shoei Otani, which is not yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I even mentioned the two best players in the world on the other team. So, right. Right. So, and, and I do think that, like, yeah, division pride is definitely a thing in baseball. That's the, even, and, and the sad part is, even the guys in the AL Central will be like, you know, everyone thinks we suck, but there's some, there's some challenging games here. Okay. Let's not get too, it's like, okay, sure, but it's not the same as the other divisions. So. Easy, easy. So, uh, <laughs> let's hop into Rangers Orioles. Let's do it. The Texas Rangers against my Baltimore Orioles. Mm. Uh, it was not how I wanted things to go. <laughs> I, I think that's a, a fair way to say it. This was not the ideal outcome as somebody who is born and raised an Orioles fan. I'm going to quickly run through the beats of game one very swiftly. Kyle Bradish was good uh, for the Orioles as their starting pitcher. The Rangers started uh, Andrew Heaney, a.k.a. Heendog. Heendog did the job, handed the ball off to Dane Dunning. He was also really good. Th- when the bullpen piggyback works, it's very jarring and disjointing, um, especially against a lineup like Baltimore, which has been so good all season long. Rangers are up uh, two to one. Josh Young hits a homer, makes it three to one. Then it's three to two uh, after who homered to make it three to Adley? Santander. Santander, Santander homered to make it three mm-hmm. to. And then let's fast forward to late in the game because this is when this thing. 
<sighs> went a little bit off the rails for Baltimore. Uh, down three to two against Chapman in the bottom of the eighth, and Chapman comes in and he just has absolutely no command, no idea where the ball's going. Four pitch walk, just looks horrible. So actually, I'm curious about this, Brent. Like, if you're hitting, and a team brings in a reliever who has zero GPS, what is? Are you just auto taking at two zero? Are you auto taking at three one? What is the approach when a guy because there's a difference between like the command is shaky and like this guy has absolutely no yeah. clue where it's going. Um they were the Baltimore was down at that time. Yeah. So I would have I would imagine they probably had they're at least gonna see a strike um as a team. You're gonna take till you get one and then some guys who are more comfortable hitting with two strikes with lower strikeout rates and don't strike out as much probably will go up there and try to see two. Um, I would think, whereas other guys who are a little bit more strikeout prone, you're going to see the first one, and then you're going to really, you're going to try to really zone them up, but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to swing it um, and try to hit a double, try to get on base um, in that way. But I would assume, yeah, knowing um, there's been times where Alonso Sears hasn't really had his command there. Um, I would think that you go up there and, and see at least one strike in that situation. Did you see no command Aroldis this year? Like um, he threw against us once. I didn't get up though. I didn't. Okay, I'm just that must be like bungee jumping. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean it's 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 like death to fight. It's jarring just because I mean one the stuff is just so so good. Like if it's in Still. the zone or near the zone, it's like this is gonna be tough. And then yeah, just the knowledge that I mean any the pitch could it, he could miss um, big one direction to the other is is concerning. But it's just like. He just goes in and out of it so quick. He'll have one batter where he can't find the zone and then immediately goes right. back and he dots three fastballs at 102. And you're just like, all right, well, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that. But um, Well, the, the really interesting thing about Chapman, especially the last couple of years, is when he is completely losing it at 101, he'll, he has the slider. He has the slider. The slider is the go-to strike pitch, yeah. Yeah, which is absurd, right? And, and I know the splitter he's kind of broken out sometimes. But, but yeah, and, and also in the context of this game, this is also an inning after Josh Spores entered and threw seven straight balls. And because the Rangers' bullpen has just been this theme the whole season, you just kind of have this feeling of like, okay, here we go. And yet they get out of it in the seventh, they get out of it in the eighth. And then in the ninth, Gunner leads off with a single, Jake. And Gunnar Henderson, first of all, my goodness, what a player. Incredible hair, too. We've gotten a lot more Gunnar uh, hair shots uh, so far in the postseason without the hat, without the helmet, which has been nice to see. But Gunnar leads off with a single. Here comes Aaron Hicks. And then we have the miscommunication heard around the world <laughs> in, in Camden Yards. as we as That's what Brandon Hyde deemed it after the game. We find out the next day it was a missed hit and run. You two gentlemen have played a lot more baseball than me. Um, Brent, Brent, first of all, okay, how, whoa, 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 whoa. Oh, yeah. you can't group me and him together in the same amount <laughs> I think of that baseball played. Yeah. yeah, I think that makes sense. Okay. But I, 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 just I didn't lie. I, I did. You're right. I shouldn't it's have grouped true. you in, but I, did, I, just, I didn't yeah. make anything up. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying. Uh, so yeah, it, it was a hit and run miss. I think it was a three, two or three, one count that he went on. Mm-hmm. When you're the pitch that um, Hicks did not swing at was like way out of the strike zone. Brent, what is the expanded zone of must swing on a hit and run? How far outside of it are you looking to go? Um, I think as long as it's not bouncing. Okay. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Um, I'm because... going to be honest with you. I don't know if I've ever gotten a hit and run sign in my entire life. So I wouldn't be the best person to ask that. But yeah, I mean, the funny thing about that play is like when I first saw it happen, so I got thrown out. I didn't think anything of it because I was just like, yeah, I mean, that's a situation where it makes sense to try to run. I mean, either way, right. even hit and run, no hit and run. Like, Gunner can run a little bit. Like, it makes sense to try to get on second, get in spartan position there. So I was just like, oh, like they tried to run. Jonah's obviously yeah. really, really good back there and it, it didn't work out, whatever. It's just kind of a gamble that you take in that situation. Right. And it's like Aaron Hicks hitting lefty. He's prone to rolling over a grounder to second base. If you send him early and he gets the bag, that moves him to third with one out. And you can drive him in. Yeah. So, oh. like in like in real time, when I watched it, I wasn't like, "Oh, well, that was a missed time. That was a miscommunication." I was just like, "Oh, they tried to run, get the scoring position, and Jonah's really right. good, so it didn't work." But then they pan to Brandon <laughs> Hyde in the dugout, and Brandon Hyde mouths, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you're like, "Oops." Then, then you're then you're like, "That was not what was supposed to happen." Yeah. And so at first, everybody thought that Gunner 
went on his own. But we later find out that Aaron Hicks missed the hit and run sign. And so Gunner was a little bit hung out to dry. That's it for the O's. Hicks strikes out. Adam Frazier grounds out. Rangers take game one. Any other thoughts from game one, gentlemen? Any other? I mean, again, it was just like the Rangers pitching performance in that one when there were 18 different times when it was like, here we go, was was very impressive. And then the Orioles, you know, young hitters until Gunner at the end. It just wasn't wasn't quite there. So but 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 again, impressive performance. And then we go in to game two and game two is a much different uh, pitching matchup than Kyle Bradish versus a piggyback. This is Jordan Montgomery, who's been one of the best pitchers in baseball for the last month versus Grayson Rodriguez. Oof. All right. So we have G-Rod making his first career postseason start and Jordan Montgomery rolling. Brent, did you see either of these guys this year? Second, Yeah, half? I saw. I want to touch on what you said first. I think Kyle Bradish is the most underrated pitcher in the league. I don't. That yeah. guy does not get talked about enough. I mean, he finished the league qualified with under th- finished the year qualified with under a three, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. We saw him. We saw him at home later in the year, um, and didn't really. I mean, no one had ever faced him before, and we kind of walked away from six and like, who? Like, what is happening right now? That guy's got three or four elite pitches and just dotting it wherever he wants. So I think I think he next year is going to be talked about going into the season as like a potential Cy Young guy. He's got unbelievable stuff mm-hmm. and he locates the hell out of it. And to be clear, he was great on Saturday. It's not like yeah. he, yeah, he yeah, didn't yeah. show up. I think he got like 22 swings and misses or something yeah. ridiculous. Like yeah, his stuff's electric. He did his job a hundred percent. And now <laughs> speaking of electric stuff, we got some two electric stuff from Grayson Rodriguez in game two. And it is one thing, you know, it is kind of cliche to see, oh, young guy making his first position start too amped up. But when you're also throwing that hard, it can get, it can get kind of wild in a wild and wacky in a hurry. And especially with the contrast of Jordan Montgomery, who wasn't exactly throwing his best game, the pitch count was climbing for Grayson. And as you know, because you've seen it across, uh, across the field all season, even if you're not pitching, this Rangers lineup just does not care. They will take their pitches and they will foul pitches off and then they will absolutely hammer anything that you throw down the middle. And uh, that is pretty much what happened in the first couple innings in this game. And this was after Aaron Hicks puts them up 2-0 in the bottom of the first. They're feeling good. Oh, the redemption for Aaron Hicks. He missed the sign, of course, blah, 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 all these cliche things. And before you can even start writing that story, the Rangers put up five runs. So here's what I'm curious about. Brent, and you can give some good perspective on this. Like, it was the Orioles said after the fact that the plan, that the game plan with Rodriguez was to go fastball heavy and to try and induce early count contact to keep his pitch count down and to get him deep into the game. It was clear pretty quickly that the fastball command was not there, right? He was throwing gas, but he was yanking it and he was missing spots and he was, the, the heater was leaking back over the plate. At what point do you abandon that? At what point do you say, well, we drew up this game plan. He clearly doesn't have the heater because I go back and forth where it's like there was no world based upon how amped up he was where Grayson Rodriguez was going to like get through five, if that makes sense, because he just didn't have the command. But at the same time, you have to make an adjustment at some point, right? Or else I guess you end up allowing 11 runs. Yeah, I mean, I think as far as pitching game planning goes, it might not be the best guy. Just because I mean, I I don't know what those guys talk about their meetings. Um, The thing about that, I saw Grayson really early in the year, like his third, second, or third series of the year, and when he was a little bit more fastball slider than I think he's been, I think they adjusted later. He went more fastball changeup, and that changeup's really, really good. Um, But the thing about trying to get early contact with him by throwing heaters is the heater is a hundred and it's got a lot of movement on it. So I mean, even if you're throwing in the zone, like there's going to be a lot of foul balls. And a lot of swing and misses on that fastball. So it's not like you're just going to, it's not like, it's not like Jordan who's going to go out there and just throw singers at 92 and get a bunch of rollovers on command. Yeah. It's like, here's a hundred at the very top of the zone. Like it's a challenge to put that pitch in play. Um, so there's going to be, fa- there's going to be swing and miss. There's going to be foul balls. So the pitch count is going to get up anyway, probably just because, just by the nature of, of how electric this yeah. fastball is. And that's the thing with Grayson, right? Is like, it, what a great reminder about how important fastball command is because. You can throw gas. You can throw 100. And I guess unless you're Spencer Strider and you have all the other elite characteristics on your fastball, if you throw it in the zone against a good big league lineup, they're going to hit it, right? And that's kind of what happened to Grayson. Second inning allows five runs. Rangers or uh, Rangers jump up five to two. 
They take him out. Danny Coulomb finishes the inning. Flip to the next frame. Brian Baker walks the bases loaded. They bring in Jacob Webb, who allows a grand slam to Mitch Garver. Mitch Garver, for, I used to, we used to play Fortnite together, Mitch Garver and I, way back in the day, when Fortnite was all the rage. Uh-huh. Happy to see him get his moment against my team. And the Rangers go up 9-2, to two, and at that point, it was really, it was Jover. Well, you know, I assume Garver is one of the Rangers you know uh, decently yeah, well. Yeah, he's one of, my, Mitch, one of my really good friends. Yeah. Yeah. So Garver's had a fascinating season, and you'll probably – you know, ride for him. I mean, he's one of the more underrated power hitters in baseball, right? I mean, not just dating back to 2019 with Minnesota, but just what he's done when he's been healthy. He did it this year. He finished with like a bad week, which basically bopped him from the D8, the starting DH spot. They had Robbie Grossman batting third and DHing for the first three postseason games. And everyone's like, what is going on? Why is this Robbie? All due respect to Robbie Grossman, who's like a clearly a veteran good hitter, who's capable, who's also had some good stretches, but it was like, why are we ditching Mitch Garver? But Bruce Bochy, who is going to get all kinds of praise for the rest of this month, and as he deserves, uh, it reinserts him at the perfect time. He launches a Grand Slam over Baltimore, as we call it. And uh, that was just... Because the thing is, at that point, I mean, 5-2, the, the five-run five inning before is, is, is tough enough. But if you're the Orioles, you're looking at it, and you're like, listen, it's three runs against the Rangers bullpen, against Jordan Montgomery, who does not look great. Like, this is something we can can overcome and we saw it later we saw it as the game went on right like they they kept kept coming that offense came alive but 9-2 is just so deflating on so many levels and, and the grand slam in that spot Jacob Webb allowing you know a home run to the first battery face and back-to-back days is just <laughs> really really tough and uh yeah I mean from there again the Orioles came Jorge Mateo four four for four out of the nine spot like the Orioles had some moments but it was that that grand slam just was so devastating Brent walk me through your watching of the Mitch Garver grand slam because like you say he's one of your best friends like he has done a lot to get back to this moment to be you know a a good big league hitter so Uh where are you watching this and how do you react to it I think uh, I was over at my friend's house watching the game. Um, we were just kind of growing up, hanging out, and he hit it up there. I mean, I'm, I, I excited. Like, I, I cheered. I'm excited for him. Um, he's, like I said, we're we're close. He's one of my guys that, like, if I'm struggling or I'm going through a week or two where I can't hit, I'm texting him. Like, hey, man, like, what do you got? This is what's happening. Um, we talk through hitting stuff a lot. He's really cerebral in terms of swing and approach and stuff like that. And he, he dives pretty deep into it. So um, I, I was super excited for him. There was uh so they're doing these in-game interviews like in the dugout, which I don't like really at all. But you know, occasionally they're interesting, and um, you know, we'll get to the Pablo Lopez one here in a second. But they did one with Garver, and he goes, he says something along the lines of, "Yeah, you know, three-one bases loaded. I had a pretty good feeling fastball was coming." He's like, "Yep, fair point. <laughs> right, smart, like, sometimes, smart lad. Sometimes, sometimes being a big league hitter is very hard, and sometimes it's like." <laughs> You know, yeah, three one fastball with the bases loaded. Like, I <laughs> but you still got to be freakishly strong enough to launch it over yeah. the Great Wall. In that's a situation. I mean, that's the exact situation though. Like you're saying, like I got a pretty good idea. I'm not positive fastballs coming, but I got a pretty good idea. But I'm willing to just straight cheat. And if I swing and miss to the yeah. slider by two feet, then now it's still three two. Like bases loaded. I'm like I'm still fine with that situation. But yeah. Three one out here. I'm gonna take my chances, and if the fastball in the zone, I'm gonna hit it up front and try to end this game right now. Yeah. So the the one element of this game, I guess we haven't talked about yet. New Rangers go on to win eleven eight. The <laughs> Orioles walked eleven batters. Uh, Corey Seager walked five times. Brent Rooker, you're a professional baseball player. Is it is it hard to win a game if you walk eleven guys? Yeah, it definitely makes it tough. Those eleven free bases, okay. especially with a lineup like the Rangers. Um, and and the thing with Seager, so first po- player ever to walk five times in a postseason game, so Mazel Tov to Corey Seager. Um, but it, clearly, like that is also part of what set up the Garver Grand Slam, right? Right? Like when you're pitching to Sammy and Seager at the top, you are trying so hard to be perfect, and then you still have to deal with yeah. like four or five more good hitters. Not to mention the swing Leody Tavares put on later on, and we see Young has been heating up, and he's still batting eighth. Like. It is the really depth, a tough, depth a tough of that break. lineup is just to have Nate and Josh seven eight is just like there are there are no I mean Nate won a silver sorry if you can hear my daughter yelling at me <laughs> I mean Nate won a silver slugger last year he said the seventh in the playoffs like that the depth and like the amount of guys in that lineup that would hurt you is just crazy yeah hundred uh, percent but yeah the, the eleven walks is is not I believe they were 
Rangers were only the fourth team in postseason history to walk 11 times and record 11 hits in a playoff game. So that is a good recipe for a lot of success. Um, and yeah, in some ways, I can't believe they didn't score more than 11 runs. Uh, so, yeah. It is the ninth time in MLB history that a team went 11, 11, 11, 11 runs, 11 oh, hits, 11 11, 11, 11, Perfect. Well, there you go. I'm sure that it was like a side quest that the Rangers were attempting to achieve. And they did it. And they go up 2-0. And they return to Texas, where they have not been in two weeks. Two weeks ago, they swept the Mariners at home. They're two and a half games up in the AL West. And they are feeling good. They're going to go on the road. They're going to win the division. All is well but instead, they have a tough road trip. They lose out on the division title. They have to go on the road for another week. But they have prevailed. And they have returned home to Globe Life Field, where they are going to be their one win away from the LCS. Uh, Brent, does your daughter have any uh, baseball takes? Does she have any baseball what? Thoughts, takes, opinions? No, I don't. she really, really likes watching games. Like She genuinely enjoys watching the games. Same. Uh, I don't think she has any takes. She, so okay. she, gets, she knows when I get a hit, though, and she gets really excited. It's very, very cute. Besides that, I, don't I think, think I think what she was saying there was, hey, give some love to Cody Bradford. What a showing from, from Cody Bradford's good. Cody. That changed up real. Cody Bradford <laughs> yeah. coming in, giving yeah. giving multiple innings of, of relief. That was very impressive. I thought he should have finished the game, to be honest. Rangers uh, bullpen has – they have so many guys out there who can come in and eat like four or five innings. It's kind of set up as just like a bunch of piggyback long relief guys with then obviously Araldis and Will at the end. But they've got so many guys who can eat four or five innings with no problem. It's pretty crazy. He, uh, he Jordan, is, uh, let's – That was impressive. Let's move on to uh, Brent's former team, not the Plymouth – Pilgrims. Though <laughs> we I'm can sure. talk Plymouthville if you guys want. You want to talk Grams? Go Grams. Newport goals, Ocean State waves. We can break yeah, I, I'll, I'll check in on the on the NECBL standings while Jake <laughs> uh, intros the Astros Twin Series. Uh, this one is simple. We talked about it ahead of time, right? Like we have so many preconceived notions about watching the Astros in October and what that means, and watching the Twins in October and what that means. And yet, I think what we have learned through the first two games is that. These might as well be the Cougars and the Panthers, Jordan, because the vibes are a little bit different in each place. Game one was pretty straightforward. This was the game I watched the least because it was during and overlapped with Braves Phillies where I am. Um, but my sense of it, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that Justin Verlander outpitched the Bailey Ober Kenta Maeda piggyback. And that is not to shame those two guys because it's Justin Verlander. The Twins fought back in the later innings, but that was pretty much it. Did I miss anything? Well, I would say that like Verlander was not amazing in the first couple innings. And like when Altuve sets the tone by swinging at the first pitch and hitting it over the fence, which he's done a bajillion times, like you kind of know it's coming, but then you also remember that he's been there a million times. And like, this is what they're used to. Now the twins battle back. Uh, Hector Neris was a total mess. Uh, he gives up a massive home run to Jorge Polanco. Twins make it interesting, but they end up hanging on. Brian Abreu, oh my God. There cannot be many more relievers better than Brian Abreu on this earth. I know he's not the closer because Presley is the capital C closer, but Brian Abreu, who may I remind everybody, had a zero ERA in 11 playoff appearances last year and has not allowed an earned run in, I think, 29 consecutive appearances this year dating back to July. He is a freak. He gets them out of the mess. The Astros go on to win. And I think the the thing with Verlander in this one was his velo was up in his last start of the regular season. It wasn't quite there in this one. But as you know, Brent, like as as cliche as it is, because it's not like he's throwing 90, I mean, the dude just knows what he's doing. Like he gets smart. He, watching Verlander as the game goes on, you can just see him processing all this information and understanding, okay, I did that last time. Now I'm going to do this this time. And the execution is flawless. And even though he can't throw 99 anymore, it doesn't matter. He is just so in control. It is so impressive. I'm sure you've seen that up close. Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not the same electric stuff that we saw what, five, six years ago, whatever. But, I mean, he's still Justin Verlander. He, the stuff is still plenty good enough to where when he has the knowledge and he has the pitch ability and he has the, uh, the wherewithal to throw the right pitch in the right situations to the right place, that he's going to get a lot of outs. He's still really, really good. And it's, it's really impressive to watch. Yeah, he just is so, so unfazed by anything. Uh, it is it is so impressive, of course. 
think it was his 36th uh, postseason start, you know, second most all time. So we've seen him do it uh, so many, so many times. And and yeah, I I am I'm eternally impressed with him. And also, it was an interesting contrast to what we saw from Framber Valdez in Game Two. I don't think there's anything else in Game One that we really need to hit on. There's way more fun stuff in Game Two that I'd rather get to. Uh, I just want to ask. Yeah, I want to ask Brent about Royce Lewis. Oh, um, sure. You yeah. were with him in the minors, right? So we were we were the same draft. Um, we never played together on the same team, but we were with each other in spring training. Instructs I know Royce very well. Yes. Mm-hmm. When in the process of meeting Royce, did you realize he was special? I so I had. I don't think I ever. We got drafted in 17, 2017. Yeah. Um, he was our first pick. I was our second pick. And I don't think I ever really saw him play until okay. the alt site in 2020. I mean, I obviously heard, like, for his first bat in the GCL, he hit a homer, like, right, that, right after getting drafted. We all heard about that. Um, you hear about how talented he is, how physically gifted he is. But I had never seen him actually do anything. I mean, I've been around him and met him. He is an unbelievable dude. Like, he is – one of the more genuinely just nice and kind people you'll ever meet in your entire life. Um, right. It got to the point where like he was so nice sometimes. Guys would be like, Royce, you need to be like a little bit meaner. Like just like a little <laughs> bit meaner. Stop being so nice all the time. No, he's, he's it, unbelievable. But It's funny because you have preconceptions of someone who's taken first overall yeah, out of high is. school, out of Southern yeah. California, right? Like you're like, oh, this kid's going to come in with his signing bonus and think he's the greatest right. thing in the world. And like here you are, one of the best players in the SEC – it's like, all right, buddy, like, let's chill now. And it's yeah, the is, total opposite. He is the opposite of all of that. Like, seriously, there were times where he guys would get on him and be like, you are too humble and you're too nice. You need to be a little bit, just a little bit meaner, have a little bit more of a chip on your shoulder. But obviously, whatever he does worked out. But 2020, the outside, we'd be scrimmaging. And he would do, like, two or three different things in the span of two or three innings where you're just like, I don't, I genuinely don't know if there's anyone else on the planet, like besides maybe Fernando Tatis who can do like all three of those things that he just did, whether it was like make a diving play at shortstop, steal a base, and then hit a ball like 440 backside. You're just like, that's just like, and the kid's still 20, 21 years old at this point. Like that, that guy's different. Um, he stands out. You can put somebody who doesn't know a lot about baseball in the stands, have us yeah. have them watch a scrimmage. He's like, that guy is different than the rest of them. Um, he is crazy talented. He's been a lot of fun to watch. And it's been cool to see him have the success he's had after kind of battling those injuries and, and get back from it all. Because I mean, he deserves it. We we talk about it a lot on the show. Any 24-year-old with going ball with a goatee, like that's a <laughs> fucking ball a player. player. Like, yeah. That is a ball player. Can I Go just say, and I, I we could talk about his game all day and – um, but just on the topic of him being nice, I'm jumping ahead here, but, and I can, I can, you know, having interviewed him this season, like, yes, he is exactly that times a million. This is an all time quote from Royce Lewis after game two. Okay. Royce Lewis on the atmosphere in Houston quote, I don't want to say anything horrible, but I felt like our Minnesota fans were actually louder. They acted like they wanted it more. <laughs> what a horrible Sign thing up. to say, Royce. What a controversial and just like terrible take that is. <laughs> Royce. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to so offend, hard the, not these offend nice... anyone possible. He wants everyone right. to love him, and everyone does love him. But he's just he's trying to be so nice. All Dude, the that's so couching? great. He's like pandering. He's like half pandering to the Houston fans. Yeah, catching. Yeah. yeah, you're a not winning them over. Houston man. fans of all people is the, just so incredible. Did y'all uh, see the? The picture yeah. after Farmer hit the homer with yes. Gray and then Royce in the background, like that's what he is all the time. Like just it's so true. the happiest, most genuinely excited person you've ever been around. It's it is the best. Um, yes, I I tweeted that screenshot. One of my favorite moments of the game. So let's get to game two. Fromber against Pablo Lopez. And let's let's start with Fromber, okay? Because this was not Fromber at his best, but Fromber, as you probably know, is the pitcher you have faced the most times in the major leagues. Did you know that? Is that factual? I've said that in an interview before. Be like, I feel like this is true, and so it's good to know that that is actually true. Yeah, that is actually true. There is not, you know, it's it's still early in your career. Right, twelve or thirteen at bats against him. Fourteen plate appearances against Fromber, including a home run, which you hit earlier this year, uh, to the train tracks in Houston, but. 
since you've seen, I mean, 14 times is that once you see a guy over 10 times, like I, yeah. I very much want to hear what that's like. Cause you know, especially in a small amount of time, you're in the same division. So what is it that I know we didn't see for Robert his best last night, but he's been one of my favorite pitchers since he debuted. It's such a unique look, such a unique pitch mix and attack. So what, what is it about him? Because the curveball is certainly iconic, but we, he's, he's mixed in the sinker. We've seen more of the changeup. So describe what it's like to step in against Framber. Yeah, it's just – for Framber, it's just like the quality of stuff is crazy. I mean, on TV, I know you watch like – you watch two sinkers, and it just kind of looks like two sinkers for like the same sinker because you can't really tell on TV. But his sinker is different. Like it's hard. It's so late. It gets almost to the zone where you feel like you're on it, and it just takes a left turn and just – turbo like takes off to his arm side and then the big curveball is a plus plus pitch he just spins it he throws the crap out of it it snaps out of the air it's interesting for him because you hear all like a pitcher trying to tunnel stuff and because of his mix like normally you, you tunnel a sinker with like a horizontal slider and then you tunnel a four seam with a down curveball he goes like sinker curveball which is just a little bit of an, like a bit of interesting profile because those are tougher to tunnel so it's like it's not that you a lot of times I mean, he'll throw a back foot curveball sometimes. It's really good that you don't see. But a lot of times, it's not because you don't see the stuff. You can differentiate between the pitches. It's just they're both so, so good that they're so difficult to barrel because they move so late and they're so sharp and so, like, it's a power, power curve where it just kind of floats up in the air. Then you can tell the spin catches, and it just nosedives into your back foot. as already. So the quality of stuff is just crazy. And then obviously, he can locate it. Maldonado does a really good job calling pitches for him. Um, he knows – Knows Framberg very well, obviously knows what his strengths are. He does a really good job managing the game for back there, too, so it makes it tough. Last night, though, he was a little bit shaky. Allows up uh, a Carlos Correa. I, I want to call this during a moonshot double. That is yeah, exactly that, what well, it was. Car- Carlos hit three balls last night. I thought all of them were over the train tracks and none of them were over the fence. <laughs> he got it was all wild. Of, well, so the, the first one, the first double, he just got under it too much. Like yeah. he. He hit that thing so hard. He just hit it straight up into the into yeah. the air. That is what we call a Tampa Bay catwalk home run. If yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like that's hitting the roof. That's a roof ball. Easy. So he that's a double off the wall. Scores a run. Twins take a quick one to zero lead. Kyle Farmer with a two run blast in the second inning, which was sweet. Kyle Farmer right only in the lineup because Royce Lewis cannot play defense right now. He's starting at third base over Lewis. And he comes up with the big moment. Well, especially because he, you know, hits lefties well. They had Polanco at third in the first game against Verlander. Uh, more favorable matchup. Better defense, too, to have Farmer playing third, move Polanco back to second. And and Farmer has hit lefties. The other thing about Farmer that's, that's just amazing to me, and you think about his season, he was the guy they brought in essentially as the Carlos Correa's probably leaving insurance. Obviously, they were probably hopeful that maybe Royce Lewis could play shortstop, although it seems like they have kind of settled into being comfortable with him being at third base. And yet Kyle Farmer found a way to still be a useful member of this team regardless, which is which is so impressive. And now to see him in the postseason here is is, is so cool. So they, they get on, uh, you know, Fromber early. They're up 3-0. They go up 5-0 uh, in the fifth inning when Carlos Correa – facing Fromber for a third time. This was a situation where had Correa not, you know, blasted a ball earlier and drawn a walk, I would have, again, like I said, like I love Fromber. I, I, I'll, I'll ride with him here, stick with your starter, whatever. Not going to the pen in this spot was, <laughs> felt a little questionable, I would say. Correa makes him pay. It's 5 nothing. Twinkies. Let's pause to talk about Carlos Correa. Let's just do the Carlos Correa conversation. I mean, this dude is making an impact literally every second. It feels like, we, and it was cliche coming into it. Of course, we assumed he would be a, a, the star of the show. But, you know, when you mentioned, Jake, oh, what do we assume coming into this? The Twins, they've only been in so many postseason games. The Astros have been in a million. Well, what we do know is that Carlos Correa has been in all of these, and now yeah. he plays for the Twins. And it is just incredible. It feels like everything that is happening with them, he has something to do with, whether literally or like he is the one. It almost feels like he's calling pitches sometimes. It feels like he's the one telling hitters, hey, look for this thing, because I know all these pitchers as well as anybody. And it, I, I feel like you sense that too watching too, right, Brent? Yeah, for sure. I mean, he is obviously an incredibly special player. And he's a I was only with him for I guess two weeks that first that first spring that he signed in Minnesota before I got traded. 
Um, but it was pretty apparent, even those two weeks in the clubhouse, like he is a sensational leader. Guys gravitate to him, one, because of the way he carries himself, and then two, just because of the, his track record and his um, his pedigree as far as regular season and postseason and stuff. So watching him hit in the postseason is really special. And like you said, they had, that, they had one meeting where Jordan was up, and he went um, – or Pablo called Brian out there, and Carlos went out there too, and it seemed like he was kind of like directing the meeting a little bit, kind of – Saying like, hey, he's probably looking for this right here, or this is what we need to throw, and then um he was yeah, the change up. that three two change up. Again, oh my gosh. And, and Pablo it. like turned around and he's like yeah. giving the fist bump and looking at Cray, and it's like, oh, like this dude's yeah. literally orchestrated. Now, obviously, Lopez was sensational. I mean, this is yeah. the best oh, yeah. anyone Pablo has is, seen. Dude, he is, he so is a freak, he is so talented, he is so yeah, talk about cerebral, talk about execution, but now he has the stuff playing up it's not just he's throwing 93 94 and he knows what he's doing with it he's pumping 97 in the sixth seventh innings now he's looks like one of the best pitchers on earth the execution was was just tremendous obviously jeffers he gave jeffers a lot of credit it seems like correa had a big part uh, to do with it too yeah i just a quick correa thing and then we can kind of wrap this game up like my understanding of carlos correa has shifted since what happened in 2020 and i i mean that in the context of he became the face of it during that spring training where he had to eat it, right? And yeah, he transgressed and he broke the rules and they did the cheating. But when he took the mic at spring, right? Like right at the Astros complex, you can picture that interview, right? We all saw it a million times. And he ate it. Like he went up there and he took it and he put the heat on himself. And as, you know, people following the game and for you as someone who was in another organization at the time, like it's super easy to villainize somebody for doing that because it comes across as like, this dude is a jerk. Like he has shown no remorse. What I have, and maybe this is like not giving Astros land enough credit. What I have come to realize about that moment now is that his priority was to take the heat off the 25. Get it off his teammates. 100%. Exactly. And like that is really a selfless decision in the context of that environment where he knew that that team was going to have to go through the adversity of carrying the trash can bullshit all year, right? He, he knew that. And he was like, well, half this team wasn't here in 2017 and they don't deserve to have to think about this all the time. And so I'm just going to make it about me. It's very European soccer manager. You know, when like Jose Mourinho used to say a bunch of insane shit so that no one would ever criticize the players. They would just criticize him, you know. It, and like that moment, I think, is really important in understanding the way that Carlos Correa thinks about leadership, right? Where he wants the smoke so that the 25 other people in the clubhouse can kind of Move. I think you're absolutely correct. Can we are you talking about Houston fans booing him? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, so what are you doing? So t- two things. Uh, Tyler Stafford, one of our good friends, one of our favorite Astros fans, he had a great tweet that was basically like, "How can Astros fans who have watched Correa thrive on negativity for the last however many years think that booing him was yeah. a good idea?" Yeah. That is so spot on. Now, was, as for why like they were sticking, booing him, it's like sticking it's, your finger in a light socket. It's like, it's, what, 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 like, one, he won you two World Series, right? Two, two, one, one World Series. Sorry, and like seventeen ALCS, <laughs> hundred poses of games. Yeah, yeah, two. You didn't try to get him back. It's not like he left on his own volition. Like, <laughs> oh, so try true. To him. Are you booing your owner? Like, what? Yeah, three and then three. Like you said, I was talking with my buddy, um, or one a guy I know who's like a he's a big Rastros guy, and he was said the same thing. He was like, "We're booing him, and we're making him twenty five percent better. Like, what are we doing?" You're just you're hurting yourself booing him. He feeds off this. You've you know what it was? Four years. You know what it was? Astros fans, they know that. Everyone else has been booing their players for years now, right? They, they, they were like, somebody. they're like, I guess, like, I'm boo Royce Lewis. He just called you quiet. Yeah, <laughs> very politely. Yeah, very, very politely. That's true. <laughs> but anyway, that's amazing. The, the point is, I, I thought that was funny too. I mean, I think there's different categories of boos, right? There's boos out of respect for the the posing yeah. best player. There's boos because we are mad at something you've done. But yeah. either way, the, the, just horrible it cell phone. Make any sense? Yeah, just three buckets of booze for me. Okay, there's the you're good, we boo you. That's the Acuna in Philly, Harper in Atlanta. We are horrified of you. We have no choice but to boo. There's the you have like cheated on the field of baseball. So that's like steroid guys 
and Astro's trash can stuff, right? And then there's like, you did crimes and you're still playing. Those are like the three buckets of boo. And then I guess the the fourth is specific disrespect towards a fan base. So that's like Cole Ooh, Irvin yeah. with the Mariners, Jordan. Oh, would yeah. Be an yeah. example of this. Yep. Right? Yep. Specific, like where a player calls out a team in some way or like uh, a, a Randall Gritchick, like crushing the Orioles would be another example of a guy who would get booed in a specific place. The Correa one fits in none of the buckets. None of the buckets. None no, of the yeah. buckets. Yeah. There was yeah. no oh, logic behind it. The last one, which is really kind of as an Orioles fan, is kind of a – I hate that they used to do this. Booing Mark Teixeira because he was, like, from Maryland and, like, didn't sign with the O's in free agency. That was the dumb one. It was like, yeah. well, what, what, you thought he was going to turn down the money so he could yeah. live in, like, Montgomery County? Uh, one more thing on this series before we take a quick break uh, and return with the National League. I mean, Twins winning this one at all, snapping a 12-game home ALDS winning streak for the Astros. They had not lost a, an ALDS game at Minute Maid Park since 2015. So that is how much of an achievement this Pablo Lopez game was. However, we need to take a moment to talk about Jordan Alvarez because... Mr. Rooker, as you are someone who I've watched on LB Network explain why hitting is very hard and explain what makes a hitter good, all these things in a very intelligent way. And so I know know, we've been asking you about a lot of pitchers, what you've seen from them. But with Jordan in particular, when you watch him, what what is it? What What are we seeing with him? Because I am just in awe, have been since he debuted. Yeah. Yeah, Obviously, he, he, he ripped my heart out as a Mariners fan last year three times. And it's funny because coming into the series, it was like, oh, there's some parallels to this to the Mariners-Astros series last year. Well, maybe this time Jordan won't you know hit a bunch of crazy home runs and then they'll win, no, whatever. It's like, to, oh, no, he actually yeah. he actually will. He <laughs> will. Every time. So, <laughs> so take take it away. You're watching him in the box. And you know, like you said, like you can get him. He's had, so he had some strikeouts here and there. And he's even gone cold for stretches in October over the last few years. But... This just, I mean, the kinds of home runs he's hitting on these pitches is so funny. As soon as Lopez is out of the game, he's like, great, time to homer again. <laughs> he doesn't hit cheap home runs. Every home run he hits is just like the most majestic thing you've ever seen in your entire life, where he hits it 118 miles an hour. He is a guy where when we're playing Houston, which we do a lot, obviously, and I DH a lot, so there's a lot of times for the dugout. I go back on the iPads, and I watch every single one of his at-bats. Like, I watch all his swings, all his takes um everything just because what well, i think his swing is so good it's just like the most powerful it's everything's coiled to the max and then he just holds it holds it holds it to the last second and just unleashes on everything and it's it's fun to watch just because he can hit so many different pitches seemingly i think last night he went back to left center right but seemingly he can hit anything pull side or anything pull side hard no matter where the pitch is which is impressive off the plate in Lefty sliders breaking away from on the black away. He can get the head out and pull all of them for doubles and homers. And it's like, it's incredible to watch. He's so strong, just so, so strong and so powerful. And so the swing is tight and compact. And just, it's, it's, I mean, he's one of the best hitters in the game for a reason, obviously. Yeah. It's, uh, my goodness. I, he's, he will never, never cease, uh, cease to amaze me at this time of year. All right. Let's take a quick break. And when we return, we are going to review the two National League games that we have seen so far Braves, Phillies, and of course, D backs and Dodgers. Hey everyone, producer Chris here with a quick housekeeping note about our merch. Look, in Australia, we love clothes and almost always wear them. If you're like us and also enjoy dabbling in clothes wearing, then why not consider some official Baseball Barbercast merchandise? Whether it's a jumpy rafter, which you would call a sweatshirt, a cap, which we would call an old hair hugger, or a shirt, which we would call a belly wrap, we have it all for you. But that's not all. Do you also like to drink water or caffeinated beverages? Well, that's great because we have mugs and bottles to help you quench your thirst too. To buy any of this merch, go to podswag.com slash baseball. The link is in the description of the podcast. And don't leave yourself clothesless this And welcome back to Baseball Barbercast. Jake Mintz, Jordan Schusterman, and Brent Rooker. Let's go out of order and do D-backs Dodgers because this game won was pretty straightforward. Not allowed to pick apart. Clayton Kershaw, a future Hall of Famer, one of the most revered, respected, and greatest pitchers of his generation, walked out to the mound at Dodger Stadium with a hurt shoulder that he'll never admit, a 90-mile-an-hour fastball, 
that got him to a 2-7 ERA against all odds this season. And before most Dodger fans could take their seats stuck in traffic in the parking lot, he was out of the game, obliterated by the Diamondbacks. The word here is ambushed. This was an ambush, scoring five runs off Clayton. He recorded just one out, and that was it. From then on, it was a boat race. The Diamondbacks win this one 11-2. I was bummed out. This was hard to watch. Um, it was like a grandparent starting to lose their memory in a way where it, it warps your understanding of what they were at their peak. Mm. I do not want that to be my last memory of Clayton Kershaw. That would be so unfortunate. And I hope that he gets another start in this series. And I hope that he shoves in it because that was, that was not Clayton Kershaw on the mound, right? That was like blatant Blurshaw. Like that was not him. And so I, that was a really hard watch. I also am interested, um, before I kick it to Brent here, like you mentioned, like he had been so good in the regular season somehow with the same stuff. And what it reminds you against Arizona, like a few weeks ago, like he had done this against Arizona. Like it's not like he had not succeeded against these same guys. Now we have to remember there's a reason that there was even more pressure on Kershaw on the spot is because all the Dodgers pitchers either got hurt or arrested. Like that's you're in a situation where were they probably going to find a way to give Kershaw the ball in game one anyway? Yes. But it makes the rest of the series a lot more precarious and we'll see what rookie Bobby Miller can give from them. Uh, you mentioned the term ambushing and is that, that's something I'm, I'm curious from your perspective, Brent, from a game planning perspective, like, is that not that you ever expect to put up five runs in the first inning, but have you, I assume you've been a part of some, some big first innings where it's just like, we're just, we're going, we're going. And, and I'm more compelled to swing early because I'm seeing my teammates have success. Yeah. I, I mean, the, the old adage, whatever hitting contagious, like if you see two guys in front of you swing early in the count and, and find barrels and do something productive then yeah, you're going to go up there looking to do the same thing, be aggressive. Um, I think it just kind of it starts with the first guy doing something, and then just kind of passes down from there, and you try to move the line along. And um, you, I mean, you learn from the bats in front of you, right? If the guys go up there having success <clears throat> early in the count, swinging at the first couple of pitches, you're going to do the same. If guys are going up there seeing a few, and they're doing, they're having success like that, you're going to be more prone to do that as well. So yeah, I like know the Diamondbacks were—you yeah. could tell, or like they were seeing it well. They were taking big swings off Kershaw um, in a way that you don't often see teams approach him. Like, I know the even when he was great, like, the way that you get him is to get him early in counts because if you get behind and he throws the slider yeah, or the curve, like, you're done. But, like, the Gabby Moreno homer, that was not a safe hack. You know what right. I mean? Like, that's not a hack you take against a pitcher who you're not seeing well. And so that's what was kind of concerning and sad for Kershaw. Any other thoughts about this game? I really don't have a whole well, lot else. There. Well, I just want to say, like, for you, Brent, I know as, as, an, as, an Amer as a proud American leaguer, um, I don't know how much you've been locked in on, on the snakes, but like, you know, Kershaw leaves the game. They put up a bunch more runs in the second, you know, off of Emma Chien, like Corbin Carroll is, you know, going to yeah, be really probably, good. you know, unanimous on rookie of the year. Like, I'm just curious which, which D backs hitters, both in this game and in the round mm -hmm. before we saw so many contributions from this team on both sides of the ball to beat Milwaukee. Who's kind of stood out for you on Arizona's side that that's been really impressive. Yeah. We played them really early. And I think, they, they, I mean, besides Corbin Carroll, who's obviously developing into an absolute megastar, they kind of lack they lack the big name guys. Like they don't have the Mookies and the Freddies and the Ronalds and the Matt Olsons and the guys like that. But their lineup is just so deep. Christian Walker, I think, is one of the more underrated hitters in the game. He puts up numbers every single year. Hitting, I mean, he always seems like he hits two sixty, two seventy with thirty plus homers. Um, he's an anchor in the middle of that lineup. He does a great job. Um, another guy whose swing I watch consistently to try to learn from. And then you've got guys like obviously Corbin in there. Um, and they, the, the Moreno kid's really special. He can swing. I just think that the depth of that lineup, they have a lot of really, really solid guys who are really good hitters. And I think that makes them scary in the postseason because they can just, they can consistently put together really quality of bats top to bottom. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, that's scary when you face the, when you face the like the elite starting arms, um, there's not a lot of easy outs. You're going to make those guys kind of grind and get the bullpen maybe a little bit earlier than you would in the regular season. So I think that they're, I mean, they're sneaky. I mean, not they're not sneaky anymore as they just beat the Dodgers game one. But I think a lot of people maybe underestimated them coming into the postseason. But the lineup they have and some of the arms they have, they can compete with anybody for sure.
And I love that Tori Lovello had a quote, uh, I think it was yesterday during the off day or after game one, where he was basically like, yeah, like everyone who's saying, oh, like reseed so that the Braves can pick on the lowly Diamondbacks. Like sure. these teams are all really good at this stage. And They're as we've really seen, good. like think about everything we thought about these teams as soon as the regular season ended, whether it's Texas, whether it's Arizona, who looked horrible in the final week, Arizona did, Texas losing on the final day, you know, giving away the division, stuff like that. Like all these things, it's just whether you want to blame the layoff, whether you want to blame all these different things, whatever, like all these teams are good enough to where they can turn it on. And that's what we've seen from Arizona here. It's been so impressive. And Bobby Miller's got, I mean, it is not going to be an easy assignment uh, in game two here, uh, especially because, yeah, this this lineup is just so many different guys have contributed. And congratulations to Merrill Kelly finally defeating the Dodgers on his 17th try. I know he had quite the lead, so it wasn't much of a stressful outing. But uh, Merrill Kelly, another very underrated pitcher, I would say. Good to see him get that uh, dub. Uh, all right, that's so, D-backs Dodgers. Well, I just want to say, spinning it forward for game two, like Zach Gallen with a what chance to go up that's how it's good it's a good picture <laughs> all right thank you brent really good thank you brent good to have the insider uh, perspective for zach allen is that guy is really good that guy's really good uh okay braves phillies game one i am here in atlanta as your favorite your fifth favorite phillies beat writer um game one here in atlanta was pretty straightforward believe it or not not in the way we expected i think no one had Braves offense doesn't show up on their bingo board. Ranger Suarez was very good. Did not allow a hit through the first 11 batters before Matt Olson knocked a single in the fourth. One other runner reached and Suarez was pulled with just uh, two outs in the fourth inning. But then the Phillies bullpen held it down. Six different relievers. Jeff Hoffman, a.k.a. Hoff Daddy, finishing the fourth inning before Five dudes went one inning apiece to give the Phillies a 3-0 win. The runs were scored on a Bryson Stott RBI single, a Bryce Harper laser beam home run on Spencer Strider, and a very bizarre catcher's interference call with the bases loaded in the eighth inning. Uh, Let's kick it to you, Jordan. I was at the game. (laughs) I watched it very closely. From afar, what was the vibe? So first of all, Bryce Harper uh, reaching base four times. We were underwhelmed by him in the two wildcard games. He shows up against Strider. Strider was awesome. He was awesome. I mean, you could say, hey, well, well, they still lost. This is the first time the Braves had been shut out at home in two years, I believe, uh, which is an incredible stat. Um, That says a lot. But the pulling Raiders Suarez where they did and then using six relievers including a full inning from from Orion Kirkring, the rookie who's pitched like for five minutes in professional baseball, was just so impressive. And yeah, I mean, they, they just seemed, this Braves offense just seemed out of sorts. I, you want to blame it on the layoff? I, I don't really care. Like when you have that many good hitters, I don't want to hear it. <laughs> like you got you to gotta be scoring runs against uh, against the, not that Rangers Suarez isn't solid. Like that just hasn't happened the whole season yeah. and it suddenly happened. So Brent, what was, um, your, what was yeah. your takeaway from that? To see such a dynamic offense go so quiet in the first game i mean i think it's pretty easy to blame on the layoff right you lose rhythm you lose um whatever maybe a little bit of timing those few days but i think it just i mean it just speaks to baseball right that lineup's been so good all year that at some point i feel like they're bound to just go through a little bit of a lull you just hope it doesn't happen at the exact wrong time which is kind of what it did um they still hit a lot of balls hard at guys yeah i mean they're gonna do that and I, i don't think there's any holding them down like that for three or four games in a row. So I'm sure they're going to bounce back and, and put up some put up some runs there in the next few games. It was super just weird to watch. You know, like Acuna in particular, I thought the Phillies had a really good game plan against him. The Where, where do you beat Acuna? You have to go inside. You have to get Heat and Velo in under his hands because he is better than anybody else in the world at taking... Most people have a, a hole up and away with velocity, right? Like... You can beat 90% of big league hitters that way. Acuna is the opposite. That's where he wants the baseball, right? He's going to take that pitch out the opposite way. So you have to get in under his hands. I thought Suarez in both of his at-bats against Acuna got him swinging early in the count with a pitch in under his hands, got him out pretty quickly. So that's a big part of it. Like if you can keep Acuna off the bases, 
like you're going to give yourself a good shot to stay in the game. Um, but yeah, like you said, like Strider did it. I was expecting going into this game that Strider was going to be the story one way or another because of what happened to him last year, pitching against the Phillies in the NLDS, struggling because he had an injury. And it was like, well, either he's going to be bad and the Braves are going to lose, or he's going to be good and they're going to score more than, you know, three runs. And then it'll be the story. But yeah. he really wasn't. That wasn't the takeaway. No. I mean, he and I don't solid. think you faced Strider yet. No, I haven't. Uh, I, faced yeah. him spring, I faced him in spring training. I guess last year is when he like initially blew up, right? Yeah. So I faced him in spring training last year with Minnesota, like when he was so pretty under the radar. Yes. And I remember he threw like two innings against us, I think punched out five, and we were all just kind of like, who is that? <laughs> Why don't we know who that is? What's, what's going on here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah but okay so you haven't really seen it but that's that's still pretty much yeah right when it was starting so yeah. you did get at least a, a little taste of it but but he he pretty much delivered everything you can ask for i mean he's to say like again they have never been that not been shot at home the entire season and they didn't even really get close like how often did they have anybody on second base the whole game yeah I, so they had they had the, the biggest moment for atlanta was bottom of the eighth, runners on first and third, and Trey mm-hmm. makes that diving play from oh the my double God. play to his left. An incredible effort from Turner to stop yeah. with the with the throw to first to end the inning, and that was it. Like that, once they got out of that inning, that was deuces. Kimbrel locks it down in the ninth. Um, yeah. Let's quickly talk about the catcher's interference call. <laughs> so let me start with this, Brent Rooker. Is it okay to ever throw trash on the field? When is it okay? No, you should not do that. It's never no, okay. You should never, never do that. Are you sure? In any situation, you should never do that. What if there's not I'll a trash stand can? Firm in that take. What if there's not a trash can near me, and I'm mad about something? <laughs> the field is not the place to dispose of that. Don't what throw if, it on the field. But don't throw but, it on the field. But what if that pitch yeah. was totally a strike? I can tell. Yeah. I'm sitting 300 <laughs> feet away. Trust me, it was a strike. Okay. And keep keep the cans and the trash off the field. Okay, fine. So right, fine. Which is weird. Again, it's another thing where you're just like you're making your own stadium employees clean it up. Like, what are you? Who are you punishing? <laughs> you make your own players. Acuna's you're punishing out there your, own players and your own stadium employees. Like, what are you doing? So yeah. a little context here. Uh, bases loaded, one out. JT Realmuto takes a swing. Or sorry, two outs. Nick's Sean Murphy's glove catcher's interference call. Here is it on the replay. It was very tough to see. Admittedly, like the replay was inconclusive. Here's how you know it was a catcher's interference. Okay, Sean Murphy and JT Realmuto are two of the best catchers in the world, if not the two best catchers in the world. Yeah, they could be the two best. So yeah, <laughs> they could be the two best. Realmuto turns around immediately, immediately, and points it out. Murphy, when it's called, his reaction is not to like argue back at the umpire. When you see him smack his helmet against his knee, that's him being pissed at himself, right? A great way to know what's going on on a baseball field is to watch how players react to calls because you guys cannot throw poker faces on in the moment. It's very hard to do. And so for us who are trying to cover the game, like I often just go off of the way that players react. And you could see from that reaction, even though you couldn't see it on the replay, that it was a catcher's interference call for sure. I mean, I just feel like First of all, catcher's interference is just one of the funniest. And when it's catcher on catcher crime, that's also when not just the two best catchers in the league, but it is such a rare, a rare play. Uh, I do agree that the replay was a little, a little goofy, but yeah, I, I generally, you guys are not the best actors in the world. Like I know, I know what I have. Same thing with hit by pitches also, for sure. This is the same thing all the time. Like guys are not very, very few guys are actually that good at faking it. Um, yeah. And you can, you can tell. So. Do you guys, this is a question I just probably know the answer to. Is there a rule, like an umpire's discretion rule that they can determine that you hit the catcher's mitt on okay. purpose? Okay. So this is, this is when catcher's answer. interference is way more interesting. And there was a case a few years ago when Jerickson Profar got a catcher's interference against the Dodgers and Kershaw was pissed. I don't know if you remember this, but on the replay, I mean – it's a tough look for Profar. Like it looks like he's like reaching back and hitting, which is obviously first and foremost, extremely dangerous and terrible, right? Can't be doing that. 
And Brent's daughter agrees that swinging she at knows. the catcher's glove is completely unacceptable, right? Don't do but that. Like, yeah, but it's like... Is it like an unwritten rule thing or is there an actual rule? They're like, no, you did that on purpose. Like, you got to stay here. I don't think the rule book allows for the umpire to decide <laughs> that. I think that's well, the I mean, I could, I could have a thousand on base percentage extra make time if I wanted to. <laughs> so, like, Brent, just turn it's funny. Look at the pitcher. Just look at the catcher <clears throat> and just. So, it's funny time. you say this because pitch. so my high school baseball team was horrible, really terrible. And we had a kid on the team who had never played before, but he was a good athlete and he was our starting center fielder and he hit ninth. And when I say had never played before, like had never played the sport before and he was 15. Okay. And he was our center fielder. Good athlete. I taught him to swing at the mitt. I did. It's a immoral thing that I did. I admit that in retrospect, but I was like, bro, you're going to stand in the back of the box and you're like, just going to kind of like for the first two strikes. <laughs> You're just going to reach back. And he had eight catcher's interferences in a 14-game season. Okay? <laughs> Is that a shame? Yeah. Would we have won the title anyway? You know it. No big deal. Um, so, yes. It, it is probably frowned upon if you do it yeah, over yeah, and over yeah. again. I mean, listen, I'm not going to do it, but, like, theoretically. Correct. Correct. You could. Correct. Theoretically. Yeah. Dude, you would get thrown at so – could you imagine oh, yeah. if you developed no, look, a rep? Yeah. You'd be on base every time. It should be either catcher interference or you're getting hit. <laughs> But if you if you want if you want an example of the closest, just look up Profar Kershaw catcher's interference, yeah. and you will see it is it was not a pretty sight. Yeah. Uh, all that said, let's spin let's, it forward to game yes. two, Jordan. Uh, that is tonight here in Atlanta. Zach Wheeler against Max Fried. Oh baby, that is a, a good one. Wheeler was dominant in his wild card start against Miami. Fried is kind of in an odd spot right now. He has a blister, maybe, or doesn't. He missed the end of the regular season with a blister issue on his left throwing hand. Had a tape over it when he threw the sim game uh, in the scrimmage that the Braves had in their stadium. He threw four innings with the tape on and one without it. And it is unclear how much that is going to impact him. Sometimes blisters are a huge deal. Huge deal. Sometimes they don't mean anything. And we just have to, we won't know until he pitches because we don't know the severity of the injury. We last saw Freed pitch on September 21st, uh, allowed one run of over six innings against the Nationals. But, and then the start before that was five innings and one run against the Phillies on September 12th. So it's been a while, but as you just mentioned, Jake, he has pitched in a sim game. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is a, a delicious matchup, of course. Uh, Brent, why don't you finish us off with this? Just thoughts on on this the the, rem the remainder of this series and especially Wheeler uh, and Freed. Yeah, I think um, before the, the postseason stuff started, before like we I think we even knew what the matchups were. Philadelphia was kind of my pick to win it. I think that they mm -hmm. are. I think the lineup is scary, and I think the back end of their bullpen is what you're looking for in a postseason. They go. Seven, eight, nine, they can shut you down pretty quick. And obviously, they're starting pitching solid too. So, I think this is going to be a really good series. I think both the guys throwing the night, obviously, are electric and have really good stuff and are going to go out. And it's going to be, I mean, they're going to command the game just because they're two pitchers of that quality, but the two lineups are also as good as they come. So, I think it's going to be, it's going to be an entertaining watch at least. So, you saw Wheeler this year. You did not see Freed. Yes. My sense of Wheeler, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, is that what makes him elite is that he has two fastballs that come from the low slot, right? Yes. He's throwing the four seam exactly. riser and yeah. the sinker with that gets in on your hands. When yeah. you're facing a guy with two fastballs two that act mm -hmm. totally differently, mm -hmm. how does that complicate your approach as a hitter? It, it makes it so much harder when guys have two, especially like plus, I mean, 95, 96 fastball, just because, I mean, I think the casual viewer probably thinks that you swing at two fastballs the same, but you absolutely do not. I mean, it's like one is coming in and down, and then one's like appearing to cut and ride. So for me, um, game plan against me specifically, especially as we got further in the year, was sink it until two strikes and then maybe go four seam. But I rarely got four seams before two strikes. Um, it was just kind of a lot of sinkers in on my hand, and Zach's got a really, really good one. So just – you have to both time 96 and then you have to time the correct 96. You got to pick which ones you got to either time the four seam 96. It's kind of riding up and away from you or the sinker 96, which is coming down and in on you. So it's, it's two different pitches and it makes the, the approach and um, the ability to execute the approach that much more complicated. Sounds like a fun job. 
<laughs> you did. It is, you did okay. You did okay this year. Uh, Brent's like, it's incredibly difficult. I wouldn't trade for the world. <laughs> it is. I have to be uh, both one of the most difficult and most fun jobs that there is. Uh, Brent Rooker, you have been fantastic on this before episode. Before we get out of here, yeah. before we get out of here, you get to plug one breakfast place. I mean, you, you tweeted the whole list out. Yeah. You get one. You get one bullet here on the Baseball Barbacast. If you are giving a recommendation, best breakfast you had this year, where are you sending people? Um, if I had to plug one place, I would say Toast in Birmingham, Michigan. I love that place. Good vibes. The banana cold brew is unbelievable. The bacon fried rice is really good. That's where I would I'd send people there. Toast in that is Toast close enough Birmingham, to where I Michigan. live. I will maybe have to make a pilgrimage to Birmingham, Michigan. Pilgrimage, by the way, RIP, the, the Plymouth Pilgrims don't exist anymore. I just learned that during this <laughs> podcast. Plug. Yeah, they shut down a couple years ago. So. <laughs> oh, man. Well, uh, but don't, don't worry. The Newport Gulls are still running things. So they have the best Gulls record this year. So. Um, Brent Rucker, this has been fantastic. Again, if you want to read more about uh, Brent's breakfast uh, preferences, our good friend Matthew Robertson wrote a, a whole did a whole interview with him uh, for GQ, which I, I recommend checking out. And I guess follow Brent on Twitter because you've been tweeting yeah. like crazy. Brent, where can people find your work? Let's see. Twitter is Brent underscore Rooker 12. Uh, Instagram is Brent underscore Rooker 19. And then Makes MLB sense. TV during the year. We can find you there. MLB TV? Yeah, yeah that's, we well, can that's, find you. Yeah, wherever the Oakland Athletics are playing, I should <laughs> oh, be there. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. Got it. Cool. I should 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 be in a few of those games. Okay, also, got it. Yeah, I'll you, see, we'll see you there. So yeah. you, you're you're Brent Rooker 12 and Brent Rooker 19, but you were 25. Just understand. Yeah. So 19 was I'll get this point real quick. 19 was always my thing. Like high school, college, I was always 19. So at one point they were both 19. Then I got traded. I never changed it when I was in Minnesota. I got traded to San Diego. Changed the Twitter handle to 12. Lost my verification because I changed my thing, and I just haven't changed it from there. But I never changed Instagram because it seems too complicated. So I, I should probably go 25 on both um, mediums, but I haven't done. And your daughter seems to agree. Uh, Brent yeah, she's Rucker, ashamed. This has been <laughs> this has been a delight. We hope you enjoy the remainder of the postseason. We hope everyone enjoyed having your insights. You can follow him on all those relevant platforms. Um, thank you all for listening. We will be back on Wednesday. Uh, we will see how many series have concluded by then. Um, but thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-Cast. Rate and review the pod wherever you get your podcast. Let us know what you think. And if you really enjoyed this, maybe we'll have Brent return at some point this postseason. Uh, but we will let, leave him to his tweeting and his breakfast recommendations. And, and fatherhood. And fatherhood, clearly. Yeah. That is going to be a focus as soon as we get <laughs> off this, this Zoom call. But thank you, Brent. We appreciate it. And uh, everybody, we will, we'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Had a blast. Serious XM Podcasts.